Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program, everybody. Today, we are talking about creating, not creating, that sounds like we're, you know, Frankenstein, raising successful children, but doing it in such a way that you don't create a monster. Yes. Because you want your child to be successful, but not like self-absorbed. Right. You want them to understand others. You want them to be socially strong, not monsters. You want them to care for others. Yeah. Not put others to the side and for their own needs. Yeah. Not have disposable friends. Yep. Right, James? Yeah. Yeah. I hate disposable friends. If we, if we could have, it would have been a fantastic time. We could have just recorded the conversation you were all having yeah, before that- the show began about – friends yeah and Alyssa not valuing friendship oh yeah i <laughs> uh now Alyssa's gonna be mad <laughs> but friends they're important right kids we're trying to raise these beautiful children life has never been more complicated yet it's also very easy for them to get very selfish because you know they're just in their own little world so True. today we're gonna blow that up out of the water out of the water Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman will be joining us uh, a little bit later. Heather Johnson is going to give us some wonderful ideas from FamilyVolley.com. Yes, she's brought us a novel again. Another of, novel. Yeah. She's Nobody does more work to get ready for this show than Heather. Not even, not even me. Not even you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> executive <laughs> producer. Uh, not even – I don't even – we just, you know, we just are glad We just throw comes. it together you know, last minute. <laughs> but – that's the key. So here we go. We uh, we got to get this thing started. And no better way to do it than just getting straight to the headlines. Headliners from the Matt Townsend Show. A summary of stories that you might have missed. Sean O'Neill. Yes, perusing the interweb. <laughs> the interweb. For the stories that you may have missed. And actually, I think I may have missed this one. This one actually came out on September 11th. What? Yeah. Um, this was in the New York Times, uh, where I found it. It's actually a blog, kind of a blog. Mm-hmm. It's from, uh, the author is K.J. Delantonia. And uh, the blog is called Motherload, actually. And it's it's on the New York Times website. Motherload. It's a, it's a parenting blog. Okay. And the title of this, uh, this uh, blog post is, When the Problem is Priorities, Don't Blame Cooking. What? She's talking about family dinner. Okay. So, so don't blame it on dinner. How, how does family dinner go at your house? Uh, or do you do you get together for family? We dinners? do, we do. We usually have we eat uh, in a weird way because we have two kids that have football right. three nights a week, mm-hmm. so they don't usually eat with us. Okay, and then those that are home, actually, we get home about eight thirty. We're all starving, mm-hmm. and then we just start feasting, and the microwaves going a million miles an hour. I see. Okay, it's pretty much like that during the during the fall, right. and then in the winter, it's pretty much six thirty. We have a dinner. But See, we're still we're still at the table. You have a table. We actually have a table. We have a yeah. We have, like have an a island. Yeah, yeah, a counter. Everyone sits at the island, and then well, there's not enough chairs for the you, family. You have a lot more kids than I do, though. We have a table too, but that's where everybody puts their backpacks. Yes, 
because uh, all the homework's spread out on the table, uh-huh. and so you don't want to move no. it. No. So you actually sit down at the table. You're like old-fashioned. We are. But that's healthy. I agree. Is the meal old-fashioned? Somewhat. It depends. It's good. Yeah. That's a good lesson. I, I like it. But what this person, what uh, Miss Del Antonia, I'm hoping it's a miss. I don't know. Yeah. KJ, the initials. So Sounds who knows? <laughs> what makes Here's a quote from her. What makes it hard for all families, albeit in different ways, is that we as a society don't consider family time a priority. Right. And for some of our citizens, we scarcely allow their families any consideration at all. It's true. I agree. It's so true. So then all of a sudden family – so she's saying it's not about dinner. It's about don't blame dinner. Right. Blame the fact that you're blame not prioritizing. Society. Well, somewhat, yes. But in some cases, she says um, many of the burdens that sociolo- sociologists – Sociologist. 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 Okay. <laughs> it's an <laughs> old word. Pronounce that correctly. But it's emphasis on the Sociologist wrong noted, based on some interviews um, in a uh, research uh, study that they did, they did observation and field work, and it had, there was little that had to, that stopped dinner. Little of it was because of the cooking. Oh, yeah. Of dinner. Right. There was, there was no reason that you could, couldn't have dinner. Oh, sure. Because of just cooking. Right. Problems or anything like that. In many cases, we are expected to fit our family around our employer's needs, uh-huh. whatever they may be. Yep. If your children are active outside the school, what was once the dinner hour is now just another chunk of available time. It's practice time. Exactly. So we we're, we end up eating the mm-hmm. dinner at 8.30, which is not a good time to be eating a meal because then you're just going to – I'm just sick all night. Exactly. She goes on to say, if we would like to physically come together with our family and friends at the end of the day, there's no end to the things that get in our way. Cooking – I know that sounds a little Dr. Seuss-ish there, but well, that's that just was, the way the words fantastic. are. Cooking Green and, eggs and ham. Cooking, ambitious or not, is not what stands between parents and a pleasant evening at home. You know why? Because I could bring home a pizza. Exactly. And we still wouldn't talk. Right. <laughs> We would just I, eat, and then we'd everyone would I move hate, to I their technology. I hate to tell technology. you, but there's, there is a there is a fast food chain around here that has Taco Tuesdays, really? and you can get three tacos for a buck. Why don't you tell me off air what uh, I, I places? Will. Not a problem. And there have been many times where we have gone and Taco spent night. like fifteen dollars, yeah, and gotten tacos for the whole family. Yeah, I mean that's a cheap dinner for a sick a family of six. Absolutely. And brought the tacos home, and you sit around the table and eat the tacos. So you have to make it a priority, but you also have to know what to do, right? Exactly. You have to sit. You have to turn technology off. You have to. That's true. Turn the TV off. Get the iPads off. Right. Oh, yeah. Asking questions. What did you do at school today? What did you learn? Mm hmm. Timmy, don't touch Susie. (laughs) Susie, eat your taco. (laughs) Did you play with your friends today after school? Yeah. That sort of thing. And the, and the questions get different as they get older. They do. Oh, they totally Oh, do. yes. But see, then, too, so does the vocabulary of the child. They, That's true. You would think it would expand as they get older, but my kids tend to just shut down their, their verbal skills. Oh, How was your sometimes. day, Tanner? Uh, Great. What'd you do? Uh, nothing. <sighs> stuff. <laughs> do you want to explain what stuff you did? Mm-hmm. Not really. Do you want a taco or don't you? Don't make me hit you with this taco. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then taco. it gets violent. Do you want to see a taco fly? Quit throwing the tacos. <laughs> yeah. And then, then everyone goes to timeout and the night's ruined. Exactly. Well, to wrap this uh, this article up, 
Miss Delantonia says family dinner isn't and shouldn't be something to get through. It's not a way station on the way to some goal. For most of us, sitting with family and friends whenever and wherever we can, and no matter what's on the table, is the goal. Yes. It ought to be within everyone's reach. It's, I mean, it's and, natural. And she, well, she states in here, too, that you know there's some governmental things that don't allow people to have family dinner. What? Well, like, you know, people who might need assistance and things like that. You know, yeah. some people need help to have a family dinner. And the research on the importance of that ritual, huge. Oh, Families very, that eat together, the kids tend to be less uh, promiscuous. They tend to get in less mm-hmm. trouble. Mm-hmm. They tend to be more family connected, more family oriented. They may not need a gang because they have a family gang. And if you're looking for a place to start, Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. The place to start. for $1. Yeah. I mean, it's sure, a little indigestion. <laughs> but the family changed. Forever. And you can choose the taco sauce too, whether you want the hot, hot mild or medium or mild. Medium, yeah. Let's send somebody out. Let's have Taco you want, Monday. You want tacos, don't you? I'm starving now. <laughs> but you know what? That's the key, folks. We're talking families today on the show, raising successful children and those that are successful but empowered and understand how to make their own learning take place, those that understand how to manage their media. Creating successful children, but not selfish kids. That's today's topic. When we come back, Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman, she'll be talking and teaching us uh, the gift, uh, the art, maybe, of teaching a healthy, successful approach to parenting. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about how to help you parent your children to success. And, uh, you know, maybe do that, too, in a way that you don't create a bunch of monsters uh, or, you know, have unintended consequences. A lot of times, and we had an article on the show last week about maybe we shouldn't even be giving our kids uh, homework because we might be ruining them. Well, uh, whatever. Just do homework. If I have to do homework, you have to do homework. But uh, today on the show, we've asked Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman to join us. She's a therapist and clinical director of New England Center for Pediatric Psychology. She developed the theory empowerment parenting, which means the back, uh, it's basically the backbone of her recent book, which is called The Learning Habit, a groundbreaking approach to homework and parenting that helps our children succeed in school life. And uh, what, here's kind of part of the goal of today's show. We're always trying to, like, give our kids the advantage, give them the edge, you know, tutors, lots of advanced classes, stressing them, stressing them. But maybe in the end, we may be doing some harm and actually uh, not not necessarily lifting them as much as we need to. So we wanted to bring Stephanie on to help us through that. And simultaneously, because she wrote another book that's called The Narcissistic Family and uh, Diagnosis and Treatment. And she, she gets into uh, basically, I, I guess we'll let her explain it, um, how, how probably to make sure you're not becoming a fairly narcissistic, self-absorbed family. Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. How are you? I'm great. You know, we I'm need you. I'm happy to be talking to you. Thank you. I, I have six children. Two are, you know, 18 and on, four at home. 
And school is now seriously impacting. Now we're starting to see we may have piled it on a little bit too deep. Can you help us there? Well, it's interesting because um, schoolwork, homework, that whole concept is really changing with the new core curriculum right? and the state standards. Um, homework, the kind of homework that's coming home, those worksheets, is really, really different than it was before because a lot of it's theoretically based. And so children are having a hard time, and they're really frustrated. Yeah. And parents who are concentrating on their children being able to do it and being able to complete the work um, may actually be causing their kids more stress. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, explain that, because, I mean, it really is. It's almost, and it's sad, but it's almost like we're, we're now stressed helping them figure out how to think. Well, you know, it's funny. There was a saying that a parent can only be as happy as their saddest child. Mm. So in American homes between 5 and 7 at night, there are usually a lot of unhappy parents. (laughs) That's exactly right. Because there are a lot of unhappy children. And what we'd like to do is get families to rethink the whole concept of homework, because academic homework, schoolwork, is just one small part of it. Homework, in our definition, the way we use it in the learning habit, is everything that happens to a child outside of school. And the good news for that is that parents really exert a tremendous influence in all those other aspects of a child's life. So you're really trying to take learning to not just being an extension of school. It's, It's really a process of life. Exactly. I mean, if all of us had to take our work home with us and we had to stay up doing whatever it is we do, until 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night, then there's no safe place. You know, there's no fun place where you really feel good. So we're talking about having parents look at sports and exercise and free play with friends and clubs and reading and art and music and scouting and all that stuff as important factors in homework. Hmm. The word is balance. It's giving our kids a balanced life so that they can enjoy themselves and be kids. Right. Well, and it seems like that's a tool... If they can learn to balance life and their job, which right now I guess is going to school, and uh-huh. then the, all their other extracurricular, if they can learn that balance, they'll probably know how to balance as adults. Exactly. I mean, what we tell kids when I do therapy groups is you have two jobs as a child. Mm-hmm. One is to do the best you can at your schoolwork, and the other is to be a kid. Yeah. You know, to experiment, to try new things, to not worry about failing or looking stupid. Um, we're really stressing with parents that they have an open mindset with their kids, especially about academics. With this new core curriculum stuff, the teachers that we interviewed said, look, we're all beta testing this stuff right now, and we don't know how long things are going to take. And if the parents are helping their children to do the homework, then we're never going to know. That's we're going right. To pile on. That's so true, huh? Cause <laughs> it's funny. Now all the kids, all the parents are home lifting the bar and They're not going to get real data because we don't know if kids know it or if parents are just really wanting good grades. Exactly. And when parents are focusing on achievement, you know, on getting the homework done, on having the perfect perfect paper, they're really missing the boat. The idea is for children to be able to set some personal goals in terms of their homework and then to be able to learn. And kids need to have a schedule. They need to know when homework is going to start and when it's going to finish. Because let's face it, kids don't enjoy academic homework. They really don't. And why would they? That's right. Especially when it seems interminable. I mean, we have talked to parents of third graders, and their children were spending four hours doing their homework. 
that's insane. I mean, it really is. Yeah. So, so I guess so. Part of the difference is you're you're saying it's not necessarily like when we were growing up. It's homework's over when you're done. Mm-hmm. But now you're kind of just saying delineate a time and a place, get as much of it as we can done, and if we can't, that's good feedback for teachers. It is good feedback for teachers. Also, having a regular place to do your homework. So let's say you're in third grade, and instead of spending four hours, you know that if your mother sets that timer for 30 minutes, then you're going to do as much as you can in that 30 minutes, and then you're free. Hmm. You're absolutely free, and you have the whole rest of the day, the evening, whatever, to yourself. You're going to learn to focus better. The idea is to get children to learn how to focus for a finite period of time, because that's a skill that we have reported from people who do these college, Hmm. what do you call it, things. Um, Kids don't have. They can't balance their time. They can't focus. They don't have good study habits. So instead of it being so outcome-focused, like I, I, I finished the paper, I turned in the assignment, you're trying to get us, and as parents, we should be thinking... How do I make sure my child learns the skills to manage their time, to manage emotion, to learn to focus, and to get stuff done? But done's not the goal. Skill management is. Yes, it is. And when you're talking about goals, when you think about it, kids really have goals set for them by their parents and by their teachers. And so in the area of homework, academic homework, they aren't very attached to it. You know, emotionally, because it's not their goal. Sure. And so one of the things that parents can do when they're communicating with their children is to sit down with them and say, well, what are your goals for the school year? What would you like to be able to do by the end of the year? And talk about that and let their children say anything they want and then say, okay, what could you do tonight hmm. that would get you closer to that? Matter of fact, we've got a thing in the, the Learning Habit book. And it's the end of the book, and it's 21 Family Challenges, and there's one called The One Step which is really cool, and your listeners could do this with their children tonight. What you do is get your kids together and have them list a goal, a crazy goal that they would like. For instance, I want to be a rock star, or I want to have karate skills more than Bruce Lee. Then you say, okay, now your challenge is to take the next 24 hours to figure out one thing you could do that would move you closer to the goal. Oh, there you go. Just one step. Yeah. Well, my granddaughter, her goal was to learn how to make magic spells. She's very into fairies and all that kind of thing. Cool. So we had to figure out, you know, so she went to the library and she looked that up. If your child wants to be a rock star, they can memorize a song and perform it for the family. But it gets them in the idea of thinking that there is one little thing they can do. Because when kids have to look at the big picture, it's daunting. Oh, yeah. You know, it's really hard. Oh, yeah. We can all do a little bit. I, I love the idea. And I love the idea, too, that we're using homework just more as a life skill building opportunity instead of just, you know, checking off the box for the teacher. Thank you. It is a skill building opportunity. And it's an opportunity for parents too, because they can learn how to communicate better with their children so their children really trust them and then they come to them with the hard issues. If think about it, think about the last time you stubbed your toe and how you really wanted to swear. Oh yeah. Um there's nobody around to censor us because we're grown-ups. The kids live in a world where everything comes out of their mouths. Everything they do is open to judgment. They're jumped on. Yeah. Censor. Yeah. So if they know that at least when they come home and they say something that maybe it's inappropriate, like, I hate my teacher or I hate, I hate school or this is stupid, that their parents can listen to the music behind what they're saying, that their parents can say, wow, you really sound frustrated or... 
you really look upset. Then so, the kids are going to talk to them. That's right, and then and then we we can adjust we can adjust real time with each other. Like I mean, what I love about this is the is really empowerment. Your theory of empowered parenting, empowerment parenting. I guess that we're hearing it is the theory that empower this child to kind of be its own source of direction of goal setting and and do it I, I guess as as young as you feasibly can, but let them lead their life a little bit more. Exactly. You know, even very young children can make choices for sure. themselves. I mean, they can decide what breakfast cereal they want. They can decide what clothes they're going to wear to school. They can make a lot of choices within preset parameters. Obviously, safety right. is a big factor with very young children. But also teaching children the model of options and consequences in decision-making. I mean, take it out of the realm of good and bad. Yeah. More into, okay, well, if we do this, then what's likely to happen, or if we do this, what's likely to happen, and have them choose then the option that appeals to them. And again, if parents get out of this idea of fearing mistakes and fearing failure for their children, because if you don't want your child to fail, what you're really saying is, I don't want my child to learn. That's right. Because we learn through making mistakes. That's and so, so true. if kids can develop that model, and maybe they will make a choice that doesn't work out well, and then if, instead of saying, aha, you, yeah, you should have gotcha. done, done that. That's right. Then we talk about, okay, what were the other choices, and would you do it the same the next time, or would you do it differently? You know what? A new way. It seems like a new way of thinking. Uh, we're talking with Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman. She's a therapist, clinical director of the New England Center for Pediatric Psychology, author of the book, The Learning Habit, which is a groundbreaking approach to homework and parenting that helps our children succeed in school and life. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, continue discussing how we can take some of these same ideas to empower our children in their own media use. If you have a question about your child and uh, tools, ways, methods, means, whatever you need to help uh, unleash some of their power as a child, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to get you on the air talking with our wonderful guest, Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Working on our kids today, right here on BYU Radio. We don't need no education. We don't need no false control. Welcome back, everybody. You don't need no education. Pink Floyd said it. We don't need no thought control. We don't need anybody controlling our thoughts. That was the hottest song that could ever be sung when I was in sixth grade at the skate park. Not at the skate park, at the skating rink. When we would skate around, you know, all in the same direction on a school retreat. And that song came on and we're like, yes, we're so rebellious. Because our private school sponsored us to go skating, and now we don't need education. The reality, folks, we do, but we don't necessarily need the thought control, and yet maybe the uh, online media might be doing that, or just media in general. We've got a wonderful guest today who's helping us learn to uh, parent, and, and parent in a way that our child can learn to learn. The Learning Habit, a groundbreaking approach to homework and parenting that helps our child succeed in school and life. It's a book written by Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman, who is a therapist, and she's on the phone right now teaching us how to be a more empowering parent. Stephanie, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Good to have you back. By the way, I mean, I'm serious. That song uh, changed my life. 
Pink Floyd. I love that song. Didn't you, didn't you just, <laughs> that's a toe tapper. It is, it is. Hey, talk to us, Stephanie, about media and um, maybe what we could be doing as parents to, to kind of take the spirit of empowerment there and how, and how our children use and manage their media. Well, there are three things I think that parents need to recognize about media use. When we're talking about media, we're talking about anything with a screen. Yeah. You know, the TV, computer, iPad, cell phone. Um, number one, parents grossly underestimate the amount of time that their children are using media. Yeah. Uh, most kids use it between six and eight hours a day and more on weekends. If you mm. ask parents how much time, media time their children are spending, they usually say, oh, maybe an hour and a half a day. That's simply not true. No. Um, number two is that anything over 45 minutes is going to start to negatively affect your child's grades, their sleep, their social skills, and their emotional balance. That's Whoa. about 45 minutes. So we're talking about an hour television show that you've DVR'd so you move out the commercials. Yeah. Because we're talking about an aggregate number here. Oh, my um, children are messed up. <laughs> well, the thing is that when they're interacting with a screen, teachers tell us that children are comfortable interacting with a screen, but they're not comfortable with regular communication hmm. skills, you know, looking somebody in the eye. They don't know how to shake hands. They don't know how to walk up to a child in the playground and ask if they can join a game. Right. Um, and communication skills are the big thing that are really suffering here. But the other thing is that all media is not created equal. Um, there are terms like media creation and media consumption that are not commonly in our vocabulary. Right. But they're part of the new tech parlance. And what our children are doing is they're being consumers of media. They're just taking it in. They're not using it in any creative way. Um, I think there was a big stir in an article recently about Steve Jobs that mm -hmm. he only allowed 30 minutes of screen time for his kids. <laughs> That's because he was a very smart man. Right. Um, in The Learning Habit, we tell the story of Patrick, who is an incredibly successful developer of video games who does not allow his own children to play video games Ugh. and will allow them to use the computer, but only for about a half an hour and only for media creation. Now, media creation is a very different concept because we're not talking about texting and tweeting and that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're talking about learning code like HTML or Java, right. um, digital scrapbooking, blogging, preparing PowerPoint presentations, making videos. These are all use of creation media. I had a, a ninth grader who was upset that there was a lot of bullying going on, girl-to-girl -girl bullying in her school. So she made a video about it, and she put it up on YouTube, and it's that's gotten wonderful. thousands and thousands yeah. of hits. Now, yeah. that's media creation. No, you know what? I have an example of this. So my son is um, – he was getting his Eagle Scout. He's a Boy Scout. Mm -hmm. And we proposed the idea of having him put together a um, a sportsmanship video and uh, kind of PowerPoint but online that he would then take to all of the community teams and have them email it out to everybody in the league so they'll all learn the, the importance of good sportsmanship. That's and that, that was his proposal, except when he went to his leaders – uh, in the scouting world, they didn't like the idea, I think, because it was tied to media and they thought it was bad because of consumption. But oh. he's using it for creation mm -hmm. and he really would have impacted a lot of lives. 
But so it's something like we need to get in our head, huh? A lot of us old timers, um, we need to get in our head that media is not bad. It's how we're using it. It's creativity is a powerful side of this versus just consumption brainlessly. Exactly. And children want to use media. I mean, we're not going to get away from kids using media. So having them use it creatively is really important. But also, media can be very powerful when used as a reward. We don't get paid until we do our jobs mm-hmm. in real life. Well, kids are coming home from school, and they're using media. And then there's the whole thing about getting them to do homework, and there's the hassle with that, and just a really bad scene. Right. Media is a valuable reward, and it should be used as a reward. You first you do your work, first you do your schoolwork, you do your chores, whatever that is, then you get your media time. That's it. See, we don't know the economics, though. So I know an hour of my time is worth this much to be paid. And you're really saying if they're supposed to get 45 minutes, no more a day, uh-huh. then if you give them 10 hours, you've overpaid them by 10, by 9 Right. I mean, there's there's an economy to this, too. And we've got to make sure they're getting kind of the right balance of payback. You betcha. And then there there are two other things um, about media. One is where it's used. Having media devices in the bedroom is a very bad idea. Yeah, totally. Uh, there was a study, uh, Judith, Judith Owens, who was one of the people who worked with us on the Learning Habits study and is, is head of the sleep clinic at the Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., ran a study and found the kids who even have a TV in their bedroom have higher sleep onset latency scores. Now, sleep onset latency is pretty important. It's, it's an important concept. That's the amount of time it takes your child to fall asleep huh. from when they actually go into bed. Yeah. And just having a TV in the room, of course, which is probably because they actually turn it on after their parents sleep. That's right. But having media devices in the bedroom means that kids are going to be getting to sleep later. Then their sleep is going to be interrupted. They're going to be sleep-deprived, and then they're going to be cranky, and they're not going to be yeah. able to focus the next day. And video gaming is really, really addictive. We know that video gaming is a very powerful thing, especially when kids play single-shooter video games alone. If they're played, for instance, with a parent, then it's social. Yeah. You know, it's bonding. That's or right. with a friend. But when they're played alone... It's really not a good idea, and we actually identified a syndrome called the loner profile, um, which is kids who isolate themselves and play these very violent video games all by themselves for hours and hours and hours a hmm. day. Well, it's interesting because if someone's going to go do drugs, I mean, I guess some of them will go do it with friends. The ones you're worried about are the ones that will go do it alone. It's kind of that loner profile. They it go is. in the dark room and they just hit up, and they're doing it the same thing with their technology. Media addiction is something that is very prevalent and we have treated a lot of kids with media addiction at the center and it's no it's no laughing matter i mean in the book learning habit we we give a case study Hmm. i think the kid in the book we called simon um but it's it was very powerful this child was failing every subject he was going to be held back he had isolated completely from his family no family time at all and he was falling apart emotionally anxiety and depression which are the hallmarks of kids who have too much media. Yeah, right. Well, and, and which came first? Because some of them probably have it and they go there because it's a great way to escape, right? So then there's the cycle uh-huh. of this. It's just another It's just another medicine. It's another way to medicate. 
It is. It's another inappropriate medication. And the thing is that if your child is feeling socially insecure, so they're more comfortable tweeting and texting because it's, it's anonymous, or yeah. more anonymous anyway, um, then they're, they're never going to learn the social skills, and they won't have anything to fall back in, and then they'll have to do it more. Mm. It really is. A, it's, it's, it's adding a complication to parenting, but really not to your principle. If your principle is we're going to give our children choices— and even teach them that and understanding. I love the idea that this is such a powerful reward system. So if you're going to use media, use it as a reward. It's a yeah. it's a great way to let them learn to set their own goals, let them set their own parameters, and there's going to be a payday for 45 minutes. Yes, and as a parent, you know that what we use as rewards, what we do is reinforcement. And so if we pretty much model what we want our children to do, for instance, having a telephone spot in the house. Everybody walks in the house and they deposit their cell phones maybe on, in a dish on the kitchen counter. Yeah. And then when they want to use them, it's regulated. There's cell phone times and you use it and maybe you use it right there so it's more public. I love it just that. makes it harder to sneak off yeah. and use cell phones. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You could even, you know, like the, the phones, if you go to a, an AT&T store or a phone store, they always have theirs like attached with a little cable. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we could just, I mean, why are they selling those? We could just attach it to the dinner table. That's a great idea. Don't you think? At least it would get everyone to dinner. It's a wonderful idea. And also cell phones should be turned off, including for the adults, yeah. during mealtimes. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard enough to get families to sit down to dinner to begin with. But then when somebody's texting and somebody's doing something else and, and dad has to take a really important call or mom has to take a really important call, that's wrong. That's right. No, that's so true. And, I mean, but again, it's about discipline, huh? And if we want our children to be disciplined as parents, we've got to be disciplined. Exactly. We do. And, again, we have to focus on how we get our kids to the goal that they themselves have set. And we do that through using effort-based praise. We do that through rewarding them for really trying and for making choices and sometimes making the hard choices. Because if they do it when they're younger, when they're in our care, then they'll have the skills to make those hard choices when they're not with us. Oh, it's the key. It's the key. Raising, Raising empowered children, raising children that have the skills Not just always the immediate outcomes. The homework's done, you know, scored a touchdown. But instead, raising kids that can figure out how to think for themselves, set their own goals, manage their priorities, be empowered. Powerful tools. We're going to take a break. More with Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman. When we come back, if you're interested, you have questions about your children, this is your chance to get them to a pro, uh, a therapist that knows what she's talking about in empowering our children. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. would love to have you call. Also, text in or tweet in, sorry, your questions at BYU Radio. We're going to take a break. More on our children and empowering them when we come back on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about how to empower your children to, you know, through life, whether it's their, you know, homework, their technology use, their media use, just everyday life, everyday stress, 
how do you teach your child to to be to grow up, to be healthy, and to use all of life, not just homework moments, but their play, their social life, their use of technology. Use life to teach your children the skills they need. And uh, who better to teach us this than Stephanie uh, Donaldson Pressman? Stephanie is a counselor and the author of a new book, The Learning Habit, A Groundbreaking Approach to Homework and Parenting that Helps Our Children Succeed in School and Life. And uh, we've been picking her brain. Stephanie, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. Parenting 101, you're you're (laughs) slowly getting us to, uh, in a way, let go and let them grow. Wonderful. I, do you mind if I use that again? No, nope, write that. Put that in your bio. <laughs> we want to raise children who have the skills to leave us and leave fulfilling lives. So we want to have an open mindset about this whole thing of using empowerment parenting and let them feel confident and competent in their lives. And there are a lot of things that we can do to encourage that. You know, we can use careful rules and a few scheduling things like for homework time and for bedtime. Um, we can have clear expectations for our children so that they know what we, what we think about, you know, drug use, alcohol use, um, stuff like that. Yeah. We, can, we can use effort-based praise so our children don't feel like if they're not winning or they're not the number one, that they're losers. I mean, there's a huge difference between telling a child, wow, you won the ribbon, I'm so proud of you, or Wow, you really swam your heart out. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, that's so part of clarify for us. Effort-based praise is focusing on the principle that got them the the ribbon, not the ribbon. Exactly. That is so hard work. At, you know, you're, I'm so proud of how much you know effort you put into this. I, I'm so proud of how you thought at deeper levels than you may have normally thought. Yes. And so it's focusing on what a child can do, what their potential is. And when you use effort-based praise, children will continue to do something because there is, there is no standard below which they're afraid they're going to fall. Yeah. And when you use effort-based praise, then kids know that if they make a mistake or if they look silly or something, that it's no big deal. So they're not afraid to try new things. When kids our praise for achievement, it can actually have a very detrimental effect on them because there's always going to be somebody better yeah, somewhere well, along the line. So true. And so if their whole identity is tied to being the best in something and, and then they're not anymore, they can really fall apart. We've seen this an awful lot in our practice. And there's a, there's a real good study, there's a real good case study, the foosball wizard in the book that absolutely talks about that. It's it, it's interesting because it also you know there's this this uh, argument around the country about should every kid receive a trophy? Who cares? In the end, it's not about a trophy for heaven's sakes. If if we're praising the child's effort, the child the the trophy's not the key. The it's it's the growth, it's the development, it's the learning, it's the self esteem, it's the failing and trying again that's going to matter. That's right. And what happens when you praise a child for effort? Um, there was a story, uh, a girl, Hannah, who moved to a new school, new school district, and was not athletic. Her mom had always said, you know, we're thinkers, we're not runners. And a requirement of the school was that every child had to play a sport. 
Hannah was in the fifth grade, and she just panicked. I mean, she came home. She was practically hysterical. This was a kid whose feet got tangled in the jump rope, who yeah. never mastered a two-wheeler. <laughs> and so she finally chose soccer as being, you know, the lesser of five evils. And she was in for a real surprise because when the coach called them for their first soccer meeting, he said, some of you have been playing soccer for years and have very advanced skills, and others of you have never seen a soccer ball. And it's all the same to me because I'm not looking for winners. What I want is for everybody to try their very best as a team member. Hmm. Yep. And there's only two things. You can say, you know, I hate this, it's stupid, but you can't say, I quit, and you can't say, I can't. Hmm. And if you try every day and you practice, you will astonish yourself. And to make a long story short, she did. And at the end of the season, she wasn't the very best soccer player, and her team did not win, it, win the regionals. However, what she won was a sense of confidence and a sense of pride in her ability to try new things and to actually persevere. Oh, yeah. I mean, and take that to college, right? Take that to your marriage. Take that to your raising of your family. That's the lesson that's going to last. And what we want to do is we don't want to turn out what we're kind of turning out right now, which is a nation of quitters. You know, well, I don't like this, so I want to try gymnastics. Well, I don't like gymnastics, so I want to try karate. Children need to understand that if you make a commitment, you follow it through. So a parent will say, okay, I certainly understand that you don't like soccer, but we signed up for eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So I expect you to go for eight weeks, and I expect you to try your hardest. So the kid comes home and says, I hate it, and the mom says, you know what, I'm really proud that you went and that you're trying. That's the important thing. Yeah. And so our children don't quit because they're not helped to quit. And part of the problem with building grit with building children with persistence is that parents take responsibility for things that their kids should control. Right. They don't want their children to fail, and they don't want their children to be unhappy. Well, they don't want their children to to dislike them. Well, if you're doing something right, your children are not going to love you all the time, and they're (laughs) not going to think of what's the person in the world. I'm a super parent. But that's it, huh? you got to push on them. And what do you do with these kids that, that are showing signs of anxiety, that, you know, it's... Socially, they're worried about it, so they don't want to try anything or, you know, their, their own, you know, mental health, their own mental you know, distress is keeping them from progressing. It's interesting because teachers are saying that anxiety is now they're not the number one thing that they're seeing with kids. And we see that at the center. It used to be that children were referred for ADHD. And starting last year, the primary symptom that, for which children were referred was anxiety. Huh. And that it's part of that has to do with media use. Media use is a huge contributor to that. Um, the new curriculum certainly is anxiety producing in teachers as well as in students. And one of the things that we can do as parents is to have clear expectations for our kids, to be able to be the people that our children can confide in, you know, without judgment, to have sensible rules in the home, and to use effort based praise. I mean, if kids aren't afraid of failing, then that's going to reduce a tremendous amount of their anxiety. If they're having good family time, so they're learning to communicate and they're not relying on media to entertain them, they're going to have good social skills. And social skills are are a big source of anxiety. Kids are going to have just better emotional health. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. That's where they learn it, isn't it? It's in your family and seeing how you solve a problem, seeing how you confront a fear— and make a plan and go about your plan. That has, if it's not being taught at home, 
then, you know, I guess it is the teacher's responsibility now. Well, the thing is, you know, people have always talked about, you know, the importance of the family dinner. Well, the learning habits study showed that, indeed, family time was critically important. And I think of family time as a, a vaccination against a lot of bad things. It's right. a vaccination against sleep problems and overuse of media, anxiety, emotional problems, social insecurity. Family time, having regularly scheduled family time, game nights, dinners, bowling, whatever, is really important in children's development. Oh, so good to know because uh, I've been pushing it, but then you feel guilty. I I didn't think of it the way you – this is how we're socializing our kids. This isn't Uh just about being a good parent or having an obedient child. It's about growing self-esteem, self-worth. It is, and it's also about having the kind of scheduling that children can count on so that they can predict what's going to happen. I mean, one of the questions that was on the um, Learning Habits study was whether or not the family regularly attended religious services. Hmm. Well, attending religious services, we hope, will have some kind of of intrinsic value, but also it's just about the scheduling. I mean, the kids have to get up at a certain time, be ready, they go in the car, you're communicating, then you have whatever the service is, then you're coming home. And it, again, it's that predictability. That's it's right. The family being together, and it's non-media involved. Oh, I love it, and safe social, safe social environment. Uh, Stephanie, we're gonna, we got to go, but we so appreciate you. Again, we suggest to everybody go look at go look up her book, "The Learning Habit: A Groundbreaking Approach to Homework and Parenting That Helps Our Children Succeed in School and Life." Stephanie Donaldson Pressman. Uh, she's the one. She's the one that's put it all together. So appreciate her. And we're going to take a break. Continue when we come back this discussion about our children, empowering them and being a role model. We need to be modeling parents more respectful parenting skills after this break right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Second hour underway. Welcome to the program. Today we've been talking about, uh, you know, how to raise successful kids. Kids that have a clue, you know, kids that are empowered, that know how to make their own decisions. How do you know when your kid has a clue? <laughs> I think you have to wait till they're 30. Okay. That's, that's the age where my kids can eat in the front room, actually. Oh, really? Yes. That was interesting. Yesterday, I I made dinner. Ooh. Yeah. What'd you and make? I made spaghetti and a meat sauce. Okay. Uh, by the way, a little ment- just a little side note for all of those chefs out there. Um, you can't use ham as the meat <laughs> sauce substitute. Not for a red sauce, but you can yeah. for a cream sauce. Yeah, no. It was a red sauce. Okay. But it had the is a red sauce out of a jar. Hey, as was, long as it's family dinner and it's on the table and your family is there, mm-hmm. go for it. The kids are like, "What's this pink stuff in, <laughs> in the red sauce?" I'm like, it's "Ham." <laughs> and they're like, "I don't think ham goes with this." And I'm like, "What? 
You think you know? What's worse is V8 juice <laughs> in your tomato. Don't mm. use V8 juice when you're cooking tomatoes. The V8 sauce. sounds good too right now. Well, V8 is good on its own, but don't try and mm. make don't try and make spaghetti sauce out of it. No. So here's the deal. Um, we just learned all of these things we could be doing as parents to kind of fix our kids. But can I just suggest, if you want healthier kids, you got to be a healthier parent. You know what I mean? We want our kids to be self-reliant and independent, and we want them to perform and get great results. And yet, you know what? So many of us as parents, we're not there. We're not doing it. So if you want your kids to be respectful, you got to model it. Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Yep. For example, you can't yell at your kids and call them a bunch of names. Your daughters called me, Sean, and they said you had a bad weekend. <laughs> I'm just, just it wasn't bad. It wasn't that bad. They, I didn't. You didn't call them any. But all these, all the time we hear, I hear it on the sideline at football games. The oh. parents yelling at their kids, and I'm thinking, are you kidding? And then you're wondering why they're turning around, hitting the next kid, and mm-hmm. hurting people, and like yelling in their face. Honestly, it's maddening. Yeah. Uh, here's another one for you. Um. Have you ever wondered, answer me this, why do our children so revere like Michael Jordan Well, or Kobe Bryant? So sports heroes? Or Miley Cyrus. So icons. Any iconic figure. Why do our kids respect them, want to be like them? Marketing. Marketing, 101. But there's an allusion to it, right, that these yes. people – Produce something, results, I guess. I think the illusion, I mean, you get this illusion, and, and, and it happens for adults too, not just kids, that these people have this life that is so prestigious and just right. out there and, and wonderful and special. But you don't, because people don't think about the fact that, well, this person still eats breakfast, they still uh-huh. eat lunch, they still have to shop, or they have people that can do it for them. Yeah, they have people that can uh, shop for I them. Would, I would. I would wonder how many people actually have people that do that for them instead of Well, and I guess But it, they actually work hard at things. That's right. Well, I mean LeBron James, I'm on exactly. his Instagram. I don't know. I mean, we just hang. Sure. LeBron and I, we, you know, Instagram back and forth. You're there with the king, yeah. <laughs> and he's working out. He shows pictures of himself working out all summer. I didn't send any of mine. So am I the real? You don't work out all summer. Maybe I, I don't, no. two days out of the summer. No. Okay. Not even two days. Half a day. Not even half a day. But I thought about it every day, which I think matters because the thought sure matters. Does. Don't ever forget it's the that. Thought that. It's counts. the thought that counts. But part of it, I think, is these people produce results, and a lot of times, as parents, just think about it. Are you out there producing results? Now, you don't need to be a millionaire, and you don't need to do like an incredible hammered time jam slam dunk. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. You can't. You don't need to like be an incredible performer that way. But your children, if you want them to have a, a, a spirit or a principle of hard work, do they see that in you? I hope so. My kids see me go to work every single day. Yeah. But they, they don't they know see what, do. what you do here. Sometimes, no, but I no, I in tell your them office, what I do. you know, when you're taking the nap. Yeah. You remember? And I knocked and <laughs> knocked and you didn't answer. And then you finally answered and you were in your jammies. I have an alarm clock. At work. They don't even know that here. 
So if we want to grow respect, we've got to get results, folks. So as parents, same thing. If you want your children to stay healthy and strong, you got to be out there running around. My, we had the greatest game. Oh, we invented a great game last night. My, we, I, we didn't make a name up. We have to make a name up. But what it's yesterday was the first of thirty games, and it's my son Britton and I are on a team, and my two youngest are on a team, and it's basically it's just keep away. Okay. And we can use pretty much anywhere in the house. But it, it's full contact. It's a full contact. Uh-huh. So you have boys. Yeah. But you know what? I was winded by the third pass, mm-hmm. in which took place in, I think, nine seconds. <laughs> That's not <laughs> – I was already I winded. And then we're running all over the house. Mom's on the couch, throwing the ball past her. Ooh. Yeah. How'd you get past that? Well, Because my wife, yeah. there's no ball in the house. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. See, but in my house, that's the only way to shut the boys up because oh. we have five boys, right? So if you have one ball that they can throw around, they pretty much will be quiet. I mean, until they break something. Mm-hmm. But it was beautiful. Played a game. But we were playing it together. And I was showing that I had some pretty good moves. Right? Tell well, my... you, you and LeBron. Mm-hmm. Well, because we're on the same Instagram. Yeah. Um, one other thing, though, is if you want to raise children that have self-esteem – you probably, as a parent, need to possess self-esteem. That would help. A lot of us, I think, want our children to be what we're not. So when we see that they're insecure, we would love that they would be secure. But you don't teach self-esteem by not owning self-esteem. Is that maybe some of the problems on the sports field? Yeah, I I do believe so. Parents see their – living their sports Mm -hmm. fantasy through their kid? Through their son. And if they don't score a touchdown in Gremlins, the Mm -hmm. littlest league of football, they're probably not going to be uh, scoring touchdowns in the junior league, the Bantams. There was a a movie uh, out recently. It's probably still out in theaters actually called When the Game Stands Tall. Yeah, yeah. Football movie. Great movie. And there's a a parent in that that is is really pushing his his son. And they went right against him, not to have a spoiler alert. Yeah, but, but it just did. It it was surprising though. I mean, he was physically hurting his son. Yeah, to reach this goal. But we do that all the time. We mentally hurt our kids mm-hmm. to get better grades. You better take that ACT test, and and we induce all of the stress, which is really what we've been trying to talk about on the show. Maybe the best way to get your child to perform is to um, not just measure the outcome of the performance, but figure out what are the principles that are aligned to get the results you need. And then teach the principles like sacrifice, service, hard work, um, acceptance, forgiveness, seeing your self-worth. All of these things can be seen in every single – but again, I mean I sat with my own. I missed one uh, quarter of my son's football game, which by the way was the, was the quarter he scored a touchdown. Sorry. But it's interesting. And he was so excited that he, he wrote back, Dad, I scored a touchdown. And that now all of a sudden we're, we're caught up in the outcome. Mm-hmm. So right then I should have turned it and said, yeah, but think of all the passes that you've had to fight through to get there. And it's not always going to be this. Anyway, that's parenting. You know, it's not easy. But I guess the key to all of this is parents. Don't just hope it's going to happen. It's not just going to happen because – Life is happening. You've got to go train it up in your children. Teach them about self-esteem, about self-worth. That's how we That's how we raised James. When James came to this show, he couldn't find his ear. 
To put the headphones on? That's right. Mm. He was putting his headphones on over his nose and his mouth, and that was one ear, and, on, and then on the back of his head. But they didn't slowly, come with directions. Well, yeah. It was difficult. But we didn't talk about whether that was right or wrong. For you, it worked. Yeah. And eventually we got him spun around, and now look at you. Wearing headphones like a pro. Wearing headphones over one eye and over the back of his head. He's getting closer to his ears, though. <laughs> James Birdsall's his name. <laughs> Running the show board, that's his game. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, guess who's in the house? Heather Ann Johnson is in the house Parenting 101. She's going to teach us what we can do as a family to keep uh, keep growing healthy and empowered children. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about raising successful kids. In the house, Heather Ann Johnson. She's an adjunct adjunct faculty member for the last 12 years here at Brigham Young University. My daughter happens to be in her class. She just enrolled and loves it and thinks Heather Ann Johnson walks on water. (laughs) But here's the deal. So, uh, as I'm known to do, actually... Never have done it in my life. This is horrible. This is exciting, Heather. Heather, um, so if you go to a website called Rate My Professor, which Heather's never been on because she doesn't agree with it, but it's where <laughs> teachers can go or students go and they can rate their professor I, I, I on any, want, at any university. Right. I just and they don't want to read you. unkind things. No, but it's be- everything about it. There's 11 entries, if you were wondering. Okay. And they all talk about how hard your class is. Oh, great. <laughs> but I mean, but they also say how wonderful, you're incredible, all these wonderful things. But there's one thing, and I'm going to need James's help on this. Because have you been on Rate My Professor, James? Yeah, I have. Okay. Have you ever rated a professor? I haven't, actually. Okay, but you've wanted to. Yeah, you're yeah. Good man, I James. Have. A good man. But James, the, there is one thing. There is a marking. So they give you scores. Your scores oh. are very high. <laughs> very, very high. 4.8. Oh, good. I mean, it's high out of five. That's how big you are. There is a pepper. There's a pepper on as one of the ratings is a pepper, okay. like a hot, hot pepper. Okay. James, what does the pepper mean? <laughs> it means like, yes, yes, it is what you're all thinking. Yeah. No, well, Heather doesn't know what to think. It's yet. whether the professor is attractive or not. Whether the, whether the professor it's is a hot, hot pepper. Caliente. Caliente. Yeah. So, Heather, you are officially hot. <laughs> that is so awesome. According, interestingly, to your students. <laughs> to those 22-year-olds. Creepy. Fantastic. That is so creepy. That is fantastic. But I think it's super cool for you. Oh, it's, well, thanks. It's a great award. A great Heather award. Ann Johnson is, yes, my friends, hot. Always what I've aspired to. Yeah. That, that right there, that pepper. I, I want to teach a class. And then I'm just hoping I'm hot. There you go. I think that's weird. It is kind of weird that they'd have that on there. But I think it's – I think it's. I wanted to bring it up because, you know. That's why I stay clear of that. I want you to know that you're great. Not <laughs> only do you have one of the greatest classes and what well, they say one of the most difficult but so valuable and on top of it, you're also hot. Well, thank you. Like, Job a, like, a, like a red hot chili pepper. There we go. It's awesome. Spicy. 
Spicy. So here's the deal. Heather um, Heather has a website, familyvolley.com. Mm-hmm. She's written a book, Family Fun Fridays, trying to get on the same page. This is what we got to figure out. Because as parents, a lot of times, I want my kids to do homework one way. My mom, my mom, sorry, that's Freud, uh, Freudian. My wife has a different idea for how we should be getting them to get stuff done. I don't want them to have a phone. She might want them to have a phone. How do we get on the same page as parents? So we're essentially talking about conflict. Yes. This is this is this is conflict 101 today. Okay, okay. We're going to start with parents and then we'll add the kids and kind of deal with the conflict there. Does a pepper matter at all? Uh, in not the conflict. not for this segment. Okay, good. Okay, good. Well, and maybe it could, but Later. that's not we'll we're going to no, we'll get there. Different show. Sure. Different show. So, the thing about conflict is it is part of our life whether we like it or not. Right. Just because we get married, just because we marry someone we love, just because we have kids with them doesn't mean the conflict disappears. In Giant. fact, it probably means there could be more of it. Yeah, there might. And it, yeah, right? it, it's there probably going to go right. up. So here's the really funny thing. We, for some reason, think that the conflict is always coming from the homework or do we give them a phone or not. Right. Usually the conflict is actually coming from the fact that we're trying to convince our spouse to agree with us. Conflict. Yes. Right? So the first thing we have to do, regardless of what the struggle is, whether it's homework or the phone or bedtime, ooh, that's a tricky uh. one. Uh, I know my husband and I, one of our biggest disagreements has been over motorcycles. Really? In the house? Not not necessarily in the house, okay, but good. in the garage and then driven around. Uh, Whether See, my wife would not allow me to have a motorcycle. See, I didn't grow up with him either, so I'm I'm anti-motorcycle, yeah. but he's pro-motorcycle. You think he's going to die. I sure do, and, and I love him a and lot. And he's like, I'm okay. <laughs> exactly I'll right. risk it. The struggle for me came when he started telling our daughter that they made them in pink. And he, she could have a pink helmet. Oh. Got a little tricky, right? Yeah. So, so it's not so much even the motorcycle or the conflict. It's the fact that all of a sudden we feel the need to convince our spouse that we're right and to yes. agree with them. Yes. So here's the first thing we have to remember. Okay. We've got to take a step back and remember our objective. The objective is not to convince them to agree with us. Right. The objective is to solve the problem. Yeah, get rid of the motorcycle. Right. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically. So we're we're always thinking we have to win, but that's not what... No, we need an answer that's mutually right, agreeable right. that we can both rely on. We want to solve that problem. Remember, it's always better to be happy than right in our marriage. So true. And that means we've got to give up a little bit and let go of that conflict so that we can find that agreement. So we're not trying to solve... We're on the same team, team here. We're right. fighting the same fight, right? But that's the... We get so divided, don't we? And then we get caught up in these <clears throat> positions like the right. positions matter. Right. But what matters is an outcome. We need a we need something that we, we can get together. We need a solution, on. right? That's and it cool. doesn't matter who won last time, That's right? Because we're not winning or losing. Right. So we're just. I mean, unless you get a motorcycle, then right. you're going to lose. Then you won, right? Or and, won, yeah, and, right. <laughs> depending on how you feel about that. So the next thing we want to do, and this is something that is underneath any conversation or decision or interaction I ever have with my husband, and that is to trust that they wouldn't hurt you. They're not out to kill you right. or get to you and it's, destroy you. It's exactly right. Now, I recognize we're talking about you know a normal, healthy marriage here. We're not talking right. about you know. Those if you really are in a bad marriage, careful. Right. But I know that my husband loves me. I know he does. I trust that. I believe it. And so oftentimes when things might come across hurtful or when there is conflict and we're not reaching that agreement or even just the words poke or pick a little bit mm-hmm. – my first thought underneath it all is that he's not or wouldn't ever do something to intentionally hurt me. So you're, you're intentionally interpreting he's, he's 
I call that the high road. You're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Always, yeah. always. Because here's how I figured. I am God-fearing. I believe in a God and a higher power. I believe that what we do here will be held accountable for. Yeah. And so in my mind, if he is doing it on purpose, he has got a much higher power to account that's to right. than yeah, me. That's right? right. The wrath is much greater than He's also got a bigger problem right. than just a marital issue. Right. Anything, anything I could dish out is not nearly as bad as right. if he's doing it on purpose. So trust that. Instead of assuming that everything that they say, you know, about that cell phone or about that bedtime is trying to hurt us. Assume that they want to help. Assume yeah. that they love us and then go from that pretense. That's a great – From that premise. Well, because then it can – then you're not down. You're not in the negative. Right. You're at least just at neutral. Right. You're just right there. Otherwise, we always start with that chip, mm-hmm. with that chip on our shoulder that would – or I like to call them boxes. And we fill those boxes up with these self-justifying images and these perversions of our spouse. And then we carry them everywhere. Oh, yeah. So we start each new situation already thinking that they're this way or they're that way. They can't win and neither right. can we. Well, and then you're you're still married to them. Right. <laughs> still have to, but you, you know, got just a bunch of boxes of rocks. That's exactly right. And they're heavy yeah. and they weigh us down and they keep us from, from being able to engage with our spouse because we're so weighed down. So we've got to let that go. Well, and especially if you're different, like if you're way different. So if you're somebody that believes, you know, they can study when they want to right. versus no, they're studying when they get home. That could become a fight, but if it's filled with a history of boxes, you're not even fighting probably about today's problem. You're just carrying a box from four years ago. That's exactly right. And all of those things add up. And that's really, you know, our relationships are very circular. Oh, yeah. And so what happened four years ago does affect today. And four years ago was affected by how we were raised and what we saw there. It, it all affects one thing or another. So we've got that's to, awesome. We've got to let those things go. It's good. And, and trust that they wouldn't hurt us. Another thing that we don't want to do when we're trying to work with our spouses to, you know, overcome conflict and come together on things is we never attack their character and we never mock. Yeah. Ever. There's really no room for it. There's there's not even a single situation where it might be okay ever. So that means we never attack or use labels like, you know, you always make the dumbest decisions. Yeah. Or, man, you've been lazy since I married you. No good. Those things stick forever. Oh, yeah. They're always there. They're always in the back of our mind. And one person is always thinking it and the other person is always feeling it. And it's no good. It's almost like by then, though, you're, if you're name calling, mm-hmm. it's probably the sign that you're already – the words aren't working right. anyway. Right. But, so this is just bad ammo. <laughs> right. It's not going to go anywhere. The other thing that we don't think necessarily hurts and sometimes use – even out of jest, is mocking. Uh-huh. Uh, we see it in TV shows all the time. You know, we see a husband or wife, usually the husband, maybe he'll clap after his wife says something with a, hey, congratulations. Well, isn't that you just great got for it. you? Yeah. No good, mm. right? There is no conflict resolution that will come from that. It just teaches the other spouse or makes them feel like they want to go completely the oh, other yeah. direction. It's not going to bring you together. Well, and then I guess it's I guess it's okay to do because he's doing it. So now right. I will mock him. Right now and it's game on. Now the cycle just continues. Yeah, someone's going to just that's no good. Right. So and remember, and you talked about this earlier, which is so important. Underlying all of this, we are teaching our children how to deal with conflict by how we deal with conflict. Right. So if over the cell phone, whether the twelve year old gets it or not, you've got one spouse mocking and labeling, and you know the other one having to live with that. We're teaching our children the wrong message and they've got a life of conflict to deal with. Or if we're always escalating or always just withdrawing. Right. They still don't understand how to deal with it because all we do is fight or flight. Right. 
<sighs> it doesn't work. Okay, Heather Ann Johnson, will you stick with us? <clears throat> yep, I'm here. We're going to take a break, come back. Heather's going to continue to teach us about how to manage the conflict in our marriages, especially as we're thinking about our parenting. And remember, who else, who else to teach us this than the red hot pepper? <laughs> That is never going to go away. Heather Ann Johnson. <laughs> I just found your new neck, your new nickname. There we go. The Red Hot Pepper. So much better than the last one. <laughs> wow, it is. It's getting better every week. We'll be right back. More tips on how to manage conflict right here on the Matt Townsend Show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about, you know, successfully raising our children, uh, maybe even eliminating a little stress as parents, because sometimes we're not on the same page. Heather Ann Johnson is teaching us how to get on the same page with our spouse, maybe avoid some of the conflict, and also how to get on the same page with our children. Uh, who better to do it than, by the way, the red hot chili pepper, Heather Ann Johnson. She's a distinguished <laughs> faculty member who has also been deemed red hot chili pepper, which just means I think people find you attractive. Which if they just read your book, Family Fun Fridays. There we go. That talk about it. red hot. There you go. That's the book. Hey, um, welcome back, Heather Ann. Thanks. Good but to be here. Go to familyvolley.com. You can get <laughs> all that you need, including uh, diet stuff. <laughs> Uh, how to use a red hot chili pepper. That she'll teach you how to use that as well. I should write a post on that. You really should. Yeah. Um, Heather, keep teaching us about conflict as a couple. Well, anything else we could do? And then I want to know how we get our kids on the same page with us. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more if, uh, as far as our spouse goes. The next one, we just finished talking about how important it was to not mock one another. Right. right. And to not don't. attack character. We right. don't want to do that. Don't be a jerk. It's exactly right. The next thing, and this one can be really hard, but we have to accept their responses. We have to accept yeah. their thoughts and their feelings. Even their if they're wrong. <laughs> it's exactly right. So when they say something to us and it's their perspective or their belief, yeah. our response isn't, no, it's not. Right. Or that's not true. Yeah. If it's how they feel and if it's one the, what they want to say because it's what they believe, then we have to simply accept that that's what they believe. Right? And, and, and maybe then try to go back. They're not an evil, horrible person. Right. Why would they think this way? And try to figure out how they came to think this way. Right. And how that happened. A lot of that can happen by simply asking. Mm-hmm. So simple. Tell me more about that. Right. Ask them, what you know, are your expectations? Why do you feel this way? Where did that come from? You know, I mentioned the motorcycle situation. My husband and I are really good about, you know, not yelling, screaming, fighting like that. But the motorcycle discussion for us took about five years. Wow. Took a long time. So where does he park his motorcycle? (laughs) So it went back and forth. Did it? A lot. Yeah. And the funny thing was, at first, the discussion was simply, I don't think they're good and safe. With him saying, I've ridden them a lot. They're just fine. Yeah. That was as far as we could get. Positions. Two positions. Right. And mine was rooted in simply how I was raised. They weren't bad in our home. They were just dangerous. Right. So we avoided them. Right. It was different in his home. I clearly remember after a number of years us discussing it and him saying to me that for him as a child riding a motorcycle was a way to escape or get away from a really horrible home situation. Interesting. The second he said it, it was like – 
There it is. Oh, well, now that I can – it was no longer these positions. But you weren't was, offended because it could have been like he's trying to get away from me and he thinks right. I'm horrible. But you just took it as – that's just his need. It, exactly. It's a freedom. And that was still in him as a need and a freedom that he had. He didn't know any difference. That's great. We hadn't been married yeah. long enough. We we weren't to those points where you know we'd evolved and, and come together in that way yet just because time hadn't passed enough. And so in that instant that I accepted that and he – knew what to say and I'd asked enough and he was willing enough to explore it. Right. We came to a agreement. It was just like that. It was done. Okay, we're okay. It's because you shifted. Sure. Once you shift so so some will be saying, Oh, see, you gave in, Heather. <laughs> we compromised. And in fact Well you understood him. Right. And he, so it's not giving in. Right. Now you get it. He had a he had a need for that. And he was so good because we came to an agreement where it wasn't a street bike but dirt bikes were okay. Yeah. And I was much more comfortable with a dirt bike than I was a street bike. There you go. And so that need that he had and that need that I had for that safety in our kids and, you know, all all of the effect that that would have came together really, that's great. really well. But it took a lot of time. And that's something we have to remember. It's not even with the cell phone or the bedtime. Those things with our kids as we parent them, the conflict it might take a couple weeks. It might yeah. take a couple discussions. It might take five years, and that's okay. Does the principle okay. work? It works the same with kids. It does work. The you got to get into them and find out what's really going on. It does, and we need to allow them opportunities to communicate and yeah. to talk to us. Especially if you want them to not be sneaking a motorcycle right. behind your back, right? And wouldn't we much rather have them? tell us or us know that they're yeah. writing something like that than jumping on the back with a buddy right. and having something happen. The other the other things with our spouse that are really interesting, oftentimes we don't show any appreciation. And what I mean by that is we oftentimes say we don't like exactly what it is we married them for. Right. Which is really strange yeah. to think about. But, you know, for example, a woman will marry her husband because he's funny and he helps her relax. But then we want him to change that and be more serious. Quit messing around. Stop being so, right. you know. Stop. stop throwing the ball around the right. living room. Right. Be more serious. We've got to take a step back and just simply appreciate the fact that they are who they are. Right. And they bring these differences just because they're different doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm. And we want our children to accept that too. You know, oftentimes we need to be a student too. We need to realize that usually our differences, our weaknesses tend to be our spouse's strengths. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Almost always. Totally. And yeah. so instead of trying to change that, why not take a step back and think, you know what? Why don't I try to emulate that strength mm -hmm. of theirs? And now we would just become a more well-rounded person. Because instead of holding it against them or trying to change them in, in conflicting situations, right. we think, man, you know what? That's opposite, but he's really good at that. Maybe I can be more like him. Oh, that's cool. Totally change things. That would impact everybody. It would. And so just, just some good reminders of how we can handle that conflict because our kids are always watching. So if we want to get our kids on board, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to always present a united front to our children. So we will have talked about whatever change we want. Right. Then we're going to come united and present it together. Right. So what happens then if all of a sudden, which happens all the time, you're in the heat of it and you say something and your spouse disagrees? Mm. That's not the game time. Game on. Right. No. no. Game <laughs> off. Game That's off. not the time to disagree. Right. It's not the time to say your mother's wrong. Do it this way. Or to undermine or to back oh. That's not the time. Yeah. Have those discussions you know, on your own uh, at a different time or after, even if you simply say we need to discuss this a little more yeah. before you follow what you know your mom just said or your dad's doing, and then we'll come back to you and talk That's about it. That's such a great – and so that just means plan. If it's a – and if right. this is a big thing we're launching, right. the new bedtime hour. Right, right. <laughs> you got to get on the bed. Sounds like a good show. It is. It right. is.
Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Great. Tons of video. Right. Um, but so get on the same page. Beforehand. United front. And, right. th- and t- but this is what I would teach people when, when I was a divorce mediator. We would teach them about know the story that we're going to tell. Mm-hmm. Get on the same page. Let's have this conversation together. Don't. Don't use it against each other. Right, right. And pit one another. And that's the thing. Your kids can see that you disagree. That's not the issue. They need to see that there's that conflict and those differences. It's just the undermining that happens. Uh, we don't we don't want to undermine one another. So you don't want to do it in private or public, but you don't want to ever do that in front of your kids. Our children too, when it comes to getting them on the same page, and we tend to see this with toddlers and then again with teenagers, right? Toddlers are just in that discovery phase. Then you hit like a 14, 15, 17-year-old. Mm. They're all about my friends away mm-hmm. from my family. We want them on the same page. A lot of what happens is they feel very powerless, especially at those ages over their life. We tell them everything they can do. Oh, yeah. You know, we tell a toddler when they can eat and sleep and go to the bathroom, what they can put in their mouth, who they can talk to, everything. That's right. And so we've got to empower them. We've got to give them some control over their life. The way we do this is by letting them express themselves. We've got to let them talk and say what they need to say. If we don't, then we're going to see the misbehavior. Oh, yeah. Right? It's going to come out one way or another. It is. And so we want to give them appropriate ways to do that. Now, here are some really good questions we can ask our children to help them feel very involved in our family setting, to okay. get them on board, yeah. right? We want to ask how this is working. And this could be anything. Family night, dinner, driving yeah. you to school, anything. Yeah. So we're going to ask how it's working. We're going to ask them, how will we know if something isn't working? Yeah, what will that look like? Right. Tell me. When it's not working, what does that mean? Does it mean you're, you know, with us too much or you never get to see your friends or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be? We're going to ask, what will we do if something works? And then again, what will we do if something doesn't work? That's great. Immediately by asking those very simple questions, we've just given kids so much power over their own lives, but we've given up nothing. In fact, we've actually gained so much as parents because with their insight, we can we can create those peaceful family situations. You can now turn the ship. Now it's like, now I know where to go. It's oh, exactly okay, right. so that doesn't work. It's a great example. They've just told us how to steer That's and where great. to go. Very simple, but ask them, how will we know? When will we know if it's working or not? And they'll have feedback. At first, if your family's not accustomed to communicating like that, they'll look at you like, uh, what? What are you trying nothing. here, mom? I got nothing. <laughs> but if you ask them a few times, they will start, and if you respect it, They'll start to realize, oh, right. she really does care. They really yeah. do care. And so that's the next thing. When they say it, we've got to listen, respect it, and try to implement those things. If we're doing that on a daily basis, our children will naturally want to jump on board with us. That's right. Even if they don't like the rule, even if they don't want a bowl for family night, whatever it is, they'll jump on board. Because they, they have some control over it. They, they know they'll be able to get feedback. Absolutely. That they're, that they're a part of those decision of that decision making process it takes all the overwhelming threatening powerlessness away they don't See, feel it anymore yeah now you're not now you're not um forcing it on mm-hmm. them you're not compelling them to just be what you need them to be you're letting them lead right letting them which again is a great skill they'll need throughout their entire absolutely. life so that they can be involved so the next one works right into that and that's inviting them not demanding mm. And man, this one, I just am constantly trying to remind myself of this in my head, especially when our schedules get too busy and I start to demand everything. Yeah. Get your shoes on now. Get in the car right right now. Get in bed right now. Shut your mouth. Right right now. It's always a demand. So we want to make sure that we're, we're inviting them and not demanding. The first way we do this is by leading through example, which you mentioned earlier today. 
if we're constantly demanding of everyone around us, they are going to do the same. So right. we don't want to do that. But here's the test to see if you're demanding or inviting. Again, look at your kids and ask them, would it be okay if they answered no to this question? Well, what's the question? It's exactly right. So if I say to them, get in bed right now, and our daughter looks at me and says no, I'm demanding. I'm not inviting. There was no invitation there. (laughs) I purely demanded. And if she talks back, if she says no, she's obviously in trouble. Yeah, that's great great test. When we say something, just simply ask, oh, if they said no, what would that do? Would they be in trouble for that? If the answer is yes, then we're most likely demanding much more than inviting. That right? is, and they'll and feel that, right? So then they're feel forced that. again, not cho- choosing to do it. Right. So we we need to have expectations. We're not saying our children run our lives. We're not saying no. any of that. But when we give those, and we don't even want to call them commands, when we're communicating with our children, we really want to ask ourselves that. And we don't want to demand we want to uh, invite them. That Heather, helps. you know what? That's I have. That's huge. That's a good one. And it really is. you can always do it this way. Um, if you love me, <laughs> you'll just do what I say. That's exactly right. I don't know if that's a command. So when they look at you and say no, that still uh-huh. kind of puts them and gets them in trouble. Do you, if you want to die, <laughs> then do it your way. Okay. See, you, I gotta. I gotta tricky. get a. I, I my vocabulary is all off. <laughs> no. Uh, Heather, thanks for being here. Oh, it's always good to be here. Those are great skills. They are, and they'll help our kids always. And, and so we thing. learn not we learn how to not fight, mm-hmm. have conflict, and how to enroll our children. Right to get them. Are, involved. are you going to stick with us? Sure. We're going to be um, wrapping up the show here, but we we always like to to do it in, in a fun way. So Alyssa is going to help us have a okay. look at tech. I'm game. Are you pretty techy? Te- sure. I, can. I mean, for a red hot chili pepper. Sure, I can hold my own. Yeah. Yeah. Familyvolley.com. That's where you got to go. Go look up familyvolley.com. Heather Johnson, red hot chili pepper. Heather Johnson. That's so that's bad. a three pepper so site, bad. by the way. A three pepper site. <laughs> three pepper. Okay, we're taking a break. We'll be back with Alyssa looking at tech when we come back on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we wrap up the show today, we're going to talk social media and technology. You've all heard it before, right? Americans spend way too much time updating their social media, watching Netflix, checking out how many peppers they have on their teacher site, um, you know, just stuff like that, all to avoid face-to-face social interaction. So here's the question. Do you spend as much time as the average American on your phone or tablet? Alyssa's here to let us know. Alyssa. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. You know Heather Johnson? I do. Triple Pepper. From, Triple uh, Pepper. That's impressive. The great uh, teaching website, Rate My Professor. <laughs> you lucky gal. Let's just say <laughs> hot, hot, spicy, caliente. Uh, Alyssa, funny. by the way, do you have, Heather, do you have a, a, you know, a pad, an iPad? I don't have an iPad. I do have a phablet. Is that what it's called? So a tablet and a Ooh. phone. So my phone is a little bit bigger. It's huge. I okay. saw that. It, it is a little you bit bigger. You put it in a backpack. So, so it's not in a pocket. <laughs> Lift so with your legs on that in, one. It'll fit in all my pockets. Okay. But So it is a little bit bigger. It's huge. But a phablet. 
Yeah. I, right? A phone and a tablet? Yeah, that's I think it. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. P.H. Ablett. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what you got for us, Alyssa? Let's do the test. Okay. So I was reading this article. It's called Mobile Mindset Study. Mm-hmm. And they say some of us put more time and TLC into our phones than we invest in our person-to-person relationships. True. True. Yeah. That's true. Bing! And that's kind of sad. And we were talking, Maddie and I were talking about how people, they want to have all these friends on social media so they don't feel alone. But when they don't have those, they're completely alone. Yeah. They're all alone. What else do you have? Right. And when you're on there, you're still alone. That's right. It's it's a sad, it's a sad thing. Which is, by the way, why I invented the game with my children. What is the game? Uh, The game, what do we call it? It was a really good name. We made it up. Something about frustrating your wife. The game that frustrates my wife. (laughs) The game that your wife can't stand. And it's day one of 30. Yeah. And I'm already down a game. Because the two little ones, cheaters. Tackle hide and seek. It's it's tackle keep away. Tackle keep away. Tackle keep away. Yeah, I think it was like make mom mad game. Yeah, it's it's called make mom mad. Oh, there you go. That's probably accurate. And break something. We used to play Make Mom Mad in our house, too. It's fun. Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> fun for everyone but mom. So, Alyssa, what uh, what are the numbers? So, well, I have a few facts for you guys. Okay. Um, so, the average American checks their phone 110 times each day <laughs> and up to six every – sorry, up every six seconds in the evening, they check it. Are you serious? They check their phone every six seconds. Oh, that is messed up. I can honestly can you say imagine I don't that? fit that. St- well, that's you couldn't it. lift your fablet. <laughs> She's like, it's you, not worth it. If you lifted it. it that much, you'd be ripped. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Oh, my gosh. That's a big phone. That's yeah. a big number. That's Every that six huge? seconds? I think, yeah. I think people – I'm behind. That's And that's what are they tough. doing? What are they checking? I what mean, changes that fast? I don't – I mean social media, I guess. I mean I get it if they were like playing Deer Hunter 2014. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not. Always so I don't example. know what they're doing. Always a good example. That's crazy. What uh, What's another stat that so I'm behind we, It says nearly 60% said they don't go an hour without checking their phone. Is this Okay. But not while you're sleeping. Oh, no. They have, they have a stat for that too. So 54% said they check their phones while lying in bed, before they go to sleep, after they wake up, and sometimes even in the middle of the night. So it's not enough to keep it by, like on your nightstand. If you can hear it, that's fine. They'll get up. It's 3 a.m. They'll check it. They'll answer and then go back to bed. I've heard people, some of my friends, they're like, oh, I I answered this person. And then I got up in the morning. I couldn't remember saying what I said. And that is scary. That's That's a horrible idea. Hey, what's your address? Well, it's 356. (laughs) (laughs) You just, here you go. Here you go. I'll be right up. And then he just showed up. I don't get it. It's scary. Okay, another stat. The U.S. spent 230,060 years on social media in January 2012, which is equivalent to six and a half hours per person. A day. No, in the in month. Oh, in the in month. month. Right, right. Six and a half hours a month. Yes. Checking social which media. Which we know that some people aren't checking six and a half hours each month. So that's more for some people, right? Well, mm-hmm. my kids. <laughs> my, I have a son that is uh, – how old is he? 11. Mm. He's, a, he's a full-on addict. On a phone or a tablet? Tablet. In a game? It's a, a tablet. Gaming. No, he's just on Instagram. Oh, okay. We found him by the toilet uh, in the fetal <laughs> position, unconscious, with a, with a phablet kid. on his – that had fallen on him. <laughs> a phablet. That word. couldn't get up. 
too much Instagramming. <laughs> It'll kill you. It'll do oh, it every time. Man. What else? That so, is crazy. Okay, so I have a personal experience with this. <gasps> Here we go. Here we go. By the way, what's so, your Instagram name so we can? I don't have Instagram. Just I'm look kind up of proud of Alyssa that, Banks. Just look up Alyssa on Facebook for everybody listening. <laughs> Why are we giving out I just the want name? You to, I oh, want you gosh. to get more fans. <laughs> I think your listeners are more interested in your son's yeah, Instagram that's account. True. Yeah, that's, probably that's true. That's a good point. Or just go to Heather Ann Johnson, uh, also known as Red Hot Pepper. <laughs> you won't find too much, but you're welcome to go. <laughs> oh, man. What's your personal story, Alyssa? So um, I used to ride Front Runner one hour each way. So a train, I went... a commuter train. Right. Yeah. Um, so I went from Provo to Salt Lake. And I just went in the morning and came back in the evening. And I read somewhere, you know, you're you're always on your phone yeah. and nobody talks. And it is so true. When you're on Front Runner, yeah. from zero to 60, people are oh, yeah. on their tablets or listening to music. Like even the two-year-olds are messing around with their their mom and dad's tablets. So I decided to do an experiment where I put my phone down the whole time. And I thought it was going to be, you know, pretty easy. I'm uh-huh. not that addicted. Come on. You, it was hard. You couldn't do it. No, I did it. Did you? It's a pride thing. You have to follow you through to do with it, it yeah. right? right. <laughs> so I did it, and I, I realized like I was meeting these new people. I was having conversation with people that I just wouldn't have done if I just had my phone out the whole time, even hmm. just in my hand, not looking at it. You know, there's that security. If I'm uncomfortable, I'm just going to look down, check and see Facebook or How long someone did you texted last? me. So it was an hour, you like an hour and a whole ten hour and ten minutes. Yeah, a whole hour. Yeah. Wow. But I, I met some new people that I typically wouldn't have talked yes, to. It was yes. a good conversation. And I was like, wow, that Tell was them. a good little testimony to and me. That... now you're dating one of them. No. <laughs> no, oh. we're not going that far. Okay, okay. We're not going that far. Well, that's that's a cool little – are you challenging everyone to do that? I am. You know, I see it with my students. In fact, just today I called my husband after class and I'd asked a question that was um, – had nothing to do with social media. It was really just environmental on campus. And I could not believe how many students had no clue. Really? Yeah. Because over time, just, you know, over teaching the last 12 years, I've noticed a huge difference. If it's not on their phone, if it's not technology, they're not looking at the trees oh, yeah. or the path they walk or, you know, they're really being raised with um, TVs in their cars. Yeah. It's right. just constant. Well, do you and remember so- when we used to daydream? Yeah. No. Remember, like you on the Never train, I would have just daydreamed <laughs> and just thought, stare like, out the window, think wow, about something. There's nature. Yeah. Well, and actually, in China, they've actually came out, come out with these walking lanes where one lane is cell phone lane and the other lane is no cell phone lane. <laughs> so just for people walking, with people be on their cell phones and not, it's crazy. So that you're not slowing someone down because and you're, you're on not a cell running phone. into people. Man, wow, that's messed up. Alyssa, thanks, appreciate it. Yeah, uh, no everybody, problem. take Alyssa's challenge. One hour tomorrow, today. Let's do it today. One no hour phone. today. No phone, no technology, and no in the middle of the night. No in the middle right. of the night. Yeah, no. You know what? Get a donut. Yeah. <laughs> Eat a donut. Get a dozen. Eat a dozen donuts. That's feeding instead. a totally different addiction. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Heather, thanks for being here. Thank you. Everybody, familyvolley.com. Go find the Red Hot Chili Pepper, her new nickname. Uh, here's the quote for you by Unknown. Often in life we forget the things we should remember, and we remember the things we should forget. So true. Tomorrow we're going to continue this discussion of social media. Does it help or does it hurt our relationships? That's tomorrow's topic right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Hope to talk to you then. Thanks for joining us. Be back tomorrow.